You're listening to Spartan Up Podcast. We're going to interview somebody every week from all over the world and see what they did in their life to become successful, no matter how they defined it. We are here, SpartanUpPodcast.com. No good? Uh, Perfect. Keep going. We are, we are here, SpartanUpPodcast.com. And in case you didn't hear that, we are here, SpartanUpPodcast.com. Where, where are we? Yeah. What are we doing? <laughs> we are at the Amy Barn with Dr. Johnny Way. We are with Seth, our wilderness expert, and we are with the singing colonel. And our wonderful <laughs> oh, Marion. And, and Marion, who does the, the, um, the video for some of our podcasts. Our intellectual. <laughs> keeps us on track. We're laughing because she's always carrying the camera. Um, we've been in blizzards together. We swam 10 miles together. She had to hold the camera underwater while I was swimming, being chased by a shark. Anyway, interviewed Howard Chang. Had the opportunity. Came here. Pittsfield, I... Um, I had the, the awesome experience, maybe I should tell you after the interview, of visiting him down to the Bahamas, and, and I'll tell you what we did on his beach yeah. for a mile and a half. It was awesome. You'll be shocked. You'll be shocked. You'll be shocked. He runs a business, an awesome business up in Canada. His, uh, his first success uh, did not work out. Uh, success turned into failure, but he got himself back up like we have so many guests do, mm-hmm. and, and he ended up crushing it. Uh, he was a black belt at an early age, uh, but I'm not gonna tell you too much. Why don't we watch it and, uh, and you'll learn more. Good, cool. good. Ready? All right, we are here, Spartan Up the Podcast in Vermont with Howard Chang, who was, would you say, what would you call yourself, the national champion in what martial art? I was, uh, at 17, I uh, won a national championship in karate. In karate. Let's walk, let's walk and talk. Because yeah. I, I um, we're gonna walk slow though, because yeah. our, our producer is very particular. So, um, <laughs> So, how do you become a national champion at 17? When did you start doing karate? Well, I actually, ironically, didn't study karate that long. I uh, started studying judo at nine and uh, quickly picked up a number of different martial arts, including karate, but it also included Thai kickboxing. Um, The challenge for me is I actually found martial arts too easy. I I got my black belt at 16, um, I became a national champion at 17, and frankly, I got a little bit disengaged at that point. Because it was too easy. It was too easy. And so is that, you think you're just from a lineage of like um, Bruce Lee types or something? I actually think for just from a genetic makeup, I'm a 100% fast twitch guy. I'm naturally eye hand. Uh, So what I decided to do, because I found that too easy, I decided to take on something that'd be incredibly hard for me, which is endurance. At what age? Uh, at, at 17, I made the, made the switch. You made the switch, and you said you were going to do something that you weren't comfortable doing. Absolutely. Which is hard for people to do. Yeah. Because right? yeah. you always, we always go towards things that are comfortable for us to do. So yeah. That's a unique attribute. Well, I think part of it is because I, I knew from a growth point of view, uh, I wasn't intellectualizing it, I just felt it in my gut. From a growth point of view, I had to explore something else. So uh, I decided to try to take on something I wasn't good at, which was endurance. Right. And you crushed it? I wouldn't say I crushed it. I, uh, I started um, in competitive cycling and I was terrible at it in the beginning. Uh, like I said, I'm a 100% fast twitch guy. So I was great in the last 200 meters of any race. If I was there, I would usually win. Um, but I had to work on the aspects. So I had to do a lot of hours on the bike. Uh, it takes me twice as long to build endurance as someone like you, who's probably more natural at it. Um, but it gave me a mountain to climb, essentially. And it got me to focus. Uh, learn how to set goals very early, and also um, learn how to deal with um, a bit of humiliation and defeat. Uh, I was so used to winning at everything I did, now I was losing at every race. That, so that, isn't that wild? Because that's not a natural tendency to go towards something that you're going to be losing. I might be a glutton for punishment. Yeah. I might. But that's a good, that's a good attribute. 
Um, it, I think it's helpful. It, it has helped me um, to go on in life because, you know, I, I made the national team eventually. Um, I won a provincial in, champion in cycling. In cycling. Yeah. I, I, I won a provincial championships. I eventually started coaching in the sport. Um, but as I went into business, what I found is that ability to fail, pick yourself up, and rebuild was essential. I mean, I was very successful in business in my 20s. What part, um, what part do you think is, is um, important? Is it the fail? Is it the pick yourself up? Which, which part is the part where we, where we learn? I think sport teaches you resiliency. Right. You know, we bend, we don't break. Um, so whether that's a guy like me trying to do 100 burpees, which for me would be incredibly difficult. I did my 100 burpees, first time out, because I just, quitting wasn't an option. I just had to do it. Um, I did puke a little bit. Did I, <laughs> anyways, um, but I think that's part of what um, is, is crafted through exercise and sport. Yeah, let's walk some more. We're going to walk this way because I don't want to have you fall down the mountain. All right, so in sport, you fail. Yeah. You pick yourself up, or, may, or, or some people don't. Some people don't, right? and I've seen that too. And, and then you move on, and you, you, hopefully you build resiliency, like you said, and you get better. Um, and you think that applies to business? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think uh, I read a stat once that the uh, average millionaire has bankrupted at least twice. Right. Um, and I think when I, I went through a dramatic business fail at, at 30, um, you know, I was made my first million at 22. I, you know, owned houses, owned beautiful cars. And at 30, I had a massive uh, business fail when the bank called their line. I went bankrupt and I spent nine months living in my, ba my parents' basement apartment single dad of two kids. Um, wow. Ironically, everybody around me, my family, I'm a, I don't come from a family of entrepreneurs, so everybody was saying, well, you know, you should get a job as a bike courier because you're a cyclist, or, oh, you should get a job as a taxi driver. I never, ever even thought that that was an option. I was just working on my next venture. Right. You know, so yes, I was you eating had, crafting. You had it in your gut. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, most people, my dad used to say, don't have the stomach for entrepreneurship. Mm. What does that mean, the stomach? Like, is it because everything that can go wrong does go wrong? Or? Well, I think as an entrepreneur, um, the buck stops here. So you don't have a support group. You know, my sister is the CEO of a, a large Fortune 500 company, and she's got a support team of 40,000 people. Right. And so I think as an entrepreneur, you always feel ultimately responsible for everything. You're not a hired gun, essentially. Right. And so you do need to have a lot of intestinal fortitude, you know, to, to get through some of those very tough moments. I mean, there are moments when you question everything about yourself, your ability, your talent, road, uh, your the sanity. Road, the road you're on. Your, right? The road you're on, yeah. exactly. exactly. So, so do you think, um, hang on a second, just looking around for my dog, I see her. Um, do you think a, a guy like you, 17 years old, national championship karate, out of nowhere, then goes and crushes it in cycling, then becomes a young millionaire, fails, picks himself back up, your sister shoots right to the top, she's running a Fortune 500 company, what did your parents do that, like, were you guys on steroids? Were you test tube babies that were experiments? <laughs> what? You know, my parents were amazing. They, um, they lived a good life in Taiwan. Uh, they were quite wealthy, uh, self-made. Uh, and when they came to Canada, they had to leave everything behind. Because at the time, Taiwan was kind of like a fascist government. You couldn't take anything with you. So for the first 18 months in Canada, we lived above a laundromat. I mean, stereotypical immigrant story. Seven of us packed into a two-bedroom apartment above a laundromat. But maybe that's good. I think it, I think it was good. And, and my parents, you know, they learned to speak English better. 
they got jobs. Um, you know, we, we lived a, a middle-class existence. We were not wealthy by any means, but we were taught a work ethic. And we were also allowed to explore and um, have adventure in the world. They didn't, they didn't over-coddle us, which I think was a very, very important so you part. Walk, you walked to school? We walked to school. We, we did way crazier things than that. Um, my sister and I at 16 um, took a train up to North Bay, uh, 400 miles north of Toronto, and we backpacked for three weeks in the backcountry at 16. Wow. Um, so, yeah, my parents, uh, either they were ignorant of our craziness or they allowed it one way or the other. It worked though, right? It did, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I was talking to um, famous people like Richard Branson, right? Mm -hmm. And he says um, his mom would make him run 20 miles home or bike right. 100 miles. Right. And so I think our instinct as parents is, oh, let's coddle them. But maybe your parents did the right thing. Yeah, and I think also as a, as a struggling immigrant family, I don't think you can coddle that much. So I think they had the benefit of circumstance as well. When I look at a lot of my peers who are, you know, well off, um, dual income, I think sometimes they coddle and perhaps even give cash to compensate for really managing the upbringing of their children. Yeah. Do we want to um, hold for a second while we have this beeping sound? I hope you're not sitting still while you listen. If you are, you better get a burpee break in. So living above the laundromat was a good thing, and maybe giving kids too much, like you just said, um, people compensate with money or whatever, maybe that's a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's always a temptation to be a helicopter parent because our kids are precious. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, we, we do need to have the benefit of perspective around that and to understand that, you know, just, just as when you train an athlete, they have to go through adversity yeah. in order to succeed um, in sport, well, you need to go through adversity to succeed in life. So, yeah, your kids are going to skin their knees, so you teach them how to heal, you teach them how to pick themselves up. I think, I think that's a healthier process. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I, how would you be ready for what the world is if you haven't practiced it? Right. Right? And the, right. World, the world does break us down and force us to pick ourselves back up. So what's your current business? So I, I'm the founder and CEO of a very unique ad agency in Toronto. Uh, we're the first um, B Corp certified ad agency, which means that we meet very high standards of kind of social and environmental responsibility. Um, I actually just recently got named to the Clean 50 Leaders of Canada because of the work that we do. Um, our agency actually specializes in the active, healthy lifestyle space, and we also do work in sustainability and social cause work as well. And um, what kind of clients do you uh, seek or work with? We have a lot of clients in the in the sports space. Uh, you know, we like sports brands as well as uh, retailers in the sports space. We also have clients in the nutrition, like the all natural organic nutrition space. Uh, we uh, Canada's largest um, green energy company is one of our clients. Uh, so they're all kind of like linked to us through values. Um, I was going to say, isn't it funny how you end up doing business with the kind of companies that you want to be around? Yeah, and again, you know, that's part of the benefit of being an entrepreneur is ultimately you want to choose the people you want to hang out with, yeah, right? right. Um, I'm at this event because I want to be with people I want to hang out with. Sure, and I think sure. building that kind of community and, and focusing on the value of those kind of relationships is really important. Yeah. What's your favorite exercise? Well, I, I'd lie and say burpees, but, uh, but I'm not going to. Uh, right now, actually, my favorite exercise is stand-up paddleboarding. I actually know that about you. That's yes. right. I tried that with you. Yeah, because again, it's a, it's a new challenge. And one of my challenges now 
is learning how to not just paddle on flat water, but to actually surf waves with it. Because, you know, I've done a little bit of surfing, I'm not terribly good at it, and I love to take anything I'm not very good at it and, get good and at challenge it. myself with it. Yeah. And that's, I think, the lesson for today, is get out of your comfort zone and do things that you're not necessarily good at. And meet people that, you're, that you don't know, right? And it leads you somewhere. Absolutely, absolutely. Thanks for coming. Thanks, Joe. Yep. Appreciate it. All right, we did it. Great, great interview, as always, but uh, I think you left us wanting a little bit more about that beach story, because tell us that a little bit quickly. I don't and know if I, if I should. This might have to be censored for our... I'm kidding. Viewers. We, we uh, had dinner. You don't know about this. We didn't talk about it in the interview. We had dinner with Simon Whitfield, uh, Howard and I, Simon... Uh, Olympic champion. Olympic Canadian champion, Canadian triathlete, uh, who we, we will be interviewing here um, someday on the podcast and um, that night we came up with a challenge, Simon, myself and Howard and said, um, why don't we do a, a true burpee mile, not a CrossFit burpee mile, which isn't an actual mile. Um, and uh, I woke up 5 a.m., Simon didn't show up, Howard didn't show up. And um, I'm not knocking <laughs> Howard, but uh, he wasn't there at 5 a.m. And I started doing burpees on this black beach, it was pitch black. And I had no marker to tell me where a mile was. Well, well, afterwards, after I'd collapsed, uh, it was about a mile and a half I had gone, and um, it was awful. It, there's uh, very little relevance to the interview, <laughs> what I'm telling you, <laughs> but, um, but uh, he's got an awesome place down in the Bahamas that he was able to afford because of his success yeah. up in Canada running um, an incredible business. And, and as you saw with the interview, he stumbled a few times in his life before he was able to pick himself back up and make it happen. What do you guys think of the whole black belt? Thing at well, such a young age and you know such um, abilities you can go ahead yeah I was gonna say what I thought was was interesting is here's a guy as he said natural talent you know uh, fast twitch fibers he said that he just was a real natural for karate but once he got to the top of that game he um, decided to try something else and to put himself in a position where he wasn't comfortable where he wasn't naturally good at something which is the hard thing to do right yeah it's just people just don't do that and you know especially young people don't do that so I think like going out <laughs> on the beach at 5 a.m. Exactly. No, but right. I said young people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Old guys quite often will do things like that. So, right. uh, yeah. So, but, um, but no, I, I think that that served him really well later in life because, you know, when he did come into challenges, he was like, oh, yeah, I know that I can do things that don't seem comfortable. I can pick myself up. And but, it, but it's very unusual, right? Most people, if they're lucky, get to do what they're good at. Yeah, sure. And here's a guy who was good at something that just said, eh, I'm going to go do something else because this is too easy. Yeah, stretch uh, it's just that's that's not a norm. Yeah. You know, I mean, how many, how you, many you world class guitarists decide spirit, to go uh, pick up pick up piano playing? But, a, but there are some, and that's incredible. Yeah. And, and you know, it's th they're the people who tend to own homes in Bahamas. I think yeah, that's right. <laughs> or think that's of right. Branson, right? I mean, he was really good at uh, what his first business was, which was the magazine, or music Ma magazine. Yeah, music. Yep. And then, and it wasn't like he was saying, oh, I'm so good at this, but I'm sick of it, I'm gonna move on to something else. But I think that one, once you're able to be successful at something and see how it works, some, some minds just need to be constantly stimulated by, by, some, by learning something yeah, but new. I think, I think there's something, it's different, I would think, in a physical world. Uh, I mean, a physical challenge, I mean, again, if you, if you are very fast, you can throw a ball fast or something, just to walk away from that and to go find another I guess Michael Jordan tried it with baseball. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean. Bo Jackson nailed it. Oh, well, right. There's Bo Jackson, Deion Sanders, Who's a couple Pat, of but, but guys that can do it. He was a horticulturist. But to take, to take <laughs> your it. point and bring it back to sort of the, the average person, because, you know, the, the Bo Jacksons of the world, we're not all going to be that person. Right. 
But a, a mistake that most people make, there's something they're really good at. Say they're a decent hockey player at 40, 50, 60. They're still playing hockey and they're clinging on to this one thing that they were good at. Right. Something that I've learned over the years is that taking up something that you're not good at at any point in your life is the best thing you could possibly do. Well, so you, you did it recently with paddleboarding. Absolutely, yeah. Awesome. That's right. Just jumped into a 50-kilometer paddleboard race out of the blue. And I wasn't good at it. I'm still not great and at it. And you can't even swim. And I, th That's why I didn't fall <laughs> off the board. But the... Uh, no, but what I mean, though, is if somebody's a great hockey player, they're going to spend the rest of their life becoming a less great hockey player. But they could, at 50, go play volleyball for the first time ever, and at 53, be better than they were at 50. So there really is something to be said at any point in your life for taking up something you're not good at because that keeps your neurons growing, keeps your brain firing, keeps everything mm -hmm. connecting as opposed to decaying. And uh, we see great master athletes who Absolutely. take up running in their 70s. There's a guy who uh, ran a marathon at 101 years old up in Toronto. He didn't start running until he was 70. So wow. what, what, you interviewed a guy uh, became a cop at 72. 72. Jimmy Benz. Jimmy Benz. Jimmy Benz. You'll see that if you go back yeah. uh, and, and, and look up and, uh, on, our, on our website. Yeah, so this isn't argue with you. It's agree with you. I mean, no, it I isn't know. normal, but no, it no. should be to but take up new I, stuff. I agree. I, I mean, there's the you concept of like I'm a sorry, renaissance man. You, military. you talked about it yeah. at one, on one of the podcasts. Well, no, the military, I think, recognizes yep. it. And they move you. They move you about every two years, and they give you different jobs, different responsibilities. Uh, you're right, you, you kind of get to where you think you know what you're doing, and then you go to someplace else and get a different job. Isn't that what the whole special operations training is in that whole first year, right? Or you go to eight Well, that, that, that's, guy, that's that, guys right. getting their qualification in schools. Yeah. But for officers, you normally, anyway, it's not part of this podcast. You'll, you'll move every couple of years. Cool. They want to grow you, grow you in experience and responsibility. Yeah. So I think the takeaway here is try something new, yep. no matter how comfortable you are with what you're doing. Yep. Um, not a new wife or husband, something new in <laughs> <laughs> sports or something like that. Um, you can learn more about Dr. Johnny Waite on SpartanUpPodcast.com. And, and, and for those not watching the video, that's in quotes. You can learn more about Sephra and her wilderness uh, exploits Wait. out here in Pittsfield. <laughs> or um, Colonel Nye, who, who takes up singing on the side. Yeah. <laughs> and, and his interactive corner you'll find on the website where you can communicate directly with him and target friends that <laughs> maybe you don't like any longer. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> we'll see <ya. laughs>